you're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, right-hand man, stand-up gentleman, awesome member of society, Matt Hartwell. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great after that fabulous introduction, Mike. Ready to talk some uh, some football. My my football feelers have just been burning to talk about some uh, some stuff of what's been going on this week, and I know you are too. Well, if you are a fan of Michigan football and you're listening to this show, actually, if you're not a fan of Michigan football and you're listening to this show, I don't know what you're doing. This show is all about Michigan football. Um, but this is a great episode for you guys if you love Michigan football because we are going to be talking about the offensive depth chart for the upcoming season. Matt and I are going to make some predictions as it relates to the offense. We're going to look uh, at each position and, and talk a little bit about who we think is going to start. Um, and then back up those guys. We'll go, we'll go a little deeper into uh, some positions. Uh, but first, we've got a couple uh, little pieces of, of bad, sad type news that we need to cover. Um, we are mourning the loss of a great American entity. ESPN used to be considered the, the worldwide leader in sports. We used to all go to them for reliable, thoughtful, insightful information about sports. And they've been drifting recently. They've had some SEC bias. They've had some issues where we're like, eh, I don't know if we can trust them anymore. And then the nail in the coffin came out this week with the preseason FPI rankings. ESPN came out with an abysmal, inexplicable, undefendable preseason ranking where they put Ohio State number one, which right off the bat, it's like, okay, what, like, what, are, what are we doing here? But, but I, think what, I think what stood out to me the most was, uh, you know, if somebody wants to say, okay, I think Ohio State is going to win the Big Ten and win the national championship, and, and they're going to edge out Michigan, I would, I, you know, of course I disagree with that take, but um, it's the degree with which ESPN did you know put this out they they're giving Ohio State a 75.5% chance to win the division as opposed to a 17.6% chance for Michigan and they're giving Ohio State a 36% chance to win the national championship a, a more than a 1 in 3 chance to win the Natty and they're giving Michigan a 3.9% chance to win the national championship so Michigan is ranked 6th Behind Texas, you heard me right, behind Texas and LSU, Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State. Matt, let me get your initial reactions on this abysmal, sorry excuse of a, of a preseason ranking. You know, I. <laughs> it's really honestly just comical to me at this point. Uh, I don't know if you caught on, on Twitter, I was having an exchange with with one of our friends. I can't remember who it was about um, just how Michigan would undoubtedly come out of uh, uh, the preseason ranked behind like the likes of Georgia, 
uh, Ohio State, Alabama. You know, like the obvious like few picks. Um, I was pretty sure that like Michigan was already going to be going against the grain against in terms of like any type of preseason ranking. But to see, I mean, I just have to question who's making this uh, making this shit up because Ohio State, you know, like obviously they return a good amount, but they've also got several, several question marks. Uh, first of all, they have an unproven starting quarterback. I don't know where in the world you can fi- you can rank a team that hasn't put on paper or really isn't even expecting any kind of like superstar caliber quarterback to enter the fold for that program and put him at number one. I just don't see it. So that first and foremost is just wild. You know, they've got questions surfacing about the offensive line. Uh, they obviously lose some of their best receiving options to the draft. I just, I can't understand first and foremost, the ranking for Ohio state ahead of Michigan. And then ultimately, like, I don't know if you caught Reese Davis's comments uh, over the the weekend about his case for Michigan uh, being the number one program in the nation, but he laid out a really uh, like decisive, insightful uh, point about why he believes that Michigan should be ranked number one, and I just don't see I don't see the same thing for Ohio State being given that kind of that kind of lean or credibility going into the season. Like I can, I can kind of understand like some of the other usual suspects in there, like Georgia, you know what I mean? Or, or LSU, Texas is kind of wild to me, but you expect some sec teams to be ahead of Michigan. But I mean, to, to have Ohio state at that number one spot and Michigan so far down the line in comparison I'm just like, is a is a brain dead like chimpanzee making these rankings or what's the source here? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I agree with you entirely. I did see what Reese Davis said about Michigan being number one. I don't actually agree with that. Like if I if I was putting out a preseason ranking today, um, which I, I actually will put out in a, in a couple months, I, I wait until a little closer to the season to get my rankings out. But I would put Georgia number one. I think that there's uh, no reason not to. It's almost disrespectful to not put Georgia number one. They dominated two years in a row. Uh, they 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 clearly have a lot of talent coming back. They've been recruiting at the top of you know top of the league, and and so Georgia's number one. I would probably put Michigan number two. I mean, I mean what you have here is a program that's won the Big Ten back to back years. Uh, dominated Ohio State in back-to-back years. Like, we're not even talking about close games. Dominated Ohio State in back-to-back years. Uh, Made the playoffs in back-to-back years. And then is bringing back, arguably, the most quality talent of any of these teams that we're talking about. You know, it's not like Michigan has to retool. Michigan's bringing back a ton of talent on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. So, of course... Being a, a Michigan fan, pe- people might listen to this and say, well, if, of course you think that because you're biased, you're a Michigan fan. It's like, well, objectively speaking, we're talking about a team that's been to the playoffs two years in a row, dominated Ohio State two years in a row, and is bringing back all their talent. Ohio State, uh, I don't even know if they have a quarterback that's played considerable minutes in college football. Like, How can you say that this team is 
like the undisputed landslide number one preseason team when you've got a question mark at the, the at a key position, the key position. Um, you know, if you want to slide Alabama above Michigan, I'll roll my eyes and I'll I'll be like, whatever, like that's fine. Like, you know, I I get it. Uh, the LSU is a little bit of a head scratcher. It's like, okay, now you're just throwing SEC teams up there for the sake of it. But yeah, LSU could be good. That's fine. But but then the thing that to me invalidates this entirely is putting Texas above Michigan. Um, it it really doesn't make sense. You've got a Texas team that was third in the Big Twelve last year. That uh, I was at the Alamo Bowl. I was there. I watched this team play in person. And they got dismantled by Washington. Like, it wasn't close. They got, I mean, and granted, Texas was deflated. They probably didn't want to be there. Texas fans would be like, that That game didn't matter to us. But, I mean, still, we have to evaluate a team by what they've done on the field. Their most recent game was them just getting completely dismantled by Washington. Um, anyway. We shall see. I, I love the disrespect. I think the, the team will feed on the disrespect. I think the AP and coaches poll, we will see Michigan at two or three. Uh, I don't think the AP and coaches are going di- to... I think we're going to see top, probably number three. I think we're going to see Georgia, Bama, Michigan, and then maybe Ohio State at four. They might try to slide Ohio State above us. Uh, either way, I don't care. Michigan's going to be a top five team heading into the season, control their own destiny. Um, and I would rather be there than be ranked number one. I feel, I mean, I just got to feel that Ohio State is like, is coming in at number five. You know what I mean? Like if you're realistically, and I don't even say that because I, I hate Ohio State. You know what I mean? But with what they're losing, they're just losing some key components from last year's team. And there's just too many unknowns. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How are they going to look? How are they going to look following another year in which they lost to Michigan and didn't win a conference championship and are fielding a brand new quarterback for the first time? You know, I just don't see it. I think that uh, that they should be they should enter the season ranked somewhere around number five. I believe Michigan, you put them at number two or three, obviously Georgia into the number one. Uh, Alabama is probably interchangeable in their minds as far as where they're going to rank them against Michigan. So I think Alabama or Michigan will either be two or three uh, or vice versa. And then uh, and then I think, you know, you, you make a case for USC. They're bringing back a lot. They've done some exciting things in Lincoln Riley's first year. They've been hot on the recruiting tra- the recruiting trail, you know what I mean? So I think you, you give USC more of a benefit of the doubt than even Ohio State. But what do I know? You know, we'll see whenever the, uh, the time <laughs> comes and there's actual people voting on these things. Uh, so uh, I know we're all getting all riled up, but you can just already see, you know what I mean? The Ohio bias creeping back in for just no apparent reason, and it just... It drives you crazy a little bit. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up USC because that's an interesting team that they might give some love to. Uh, you got to believe Penn State is is actually going to be up there somewhere, but there's no way they'll put them above Michigan or Ohio State. Um, and then, you know, you, you talk about teams like, does Clemson bounce back? Does does Tennessee keep some of the momentum that they've had? You know, uh, does, does Oklahoma get back into the equation somehow? 
Uh, Notre Dame, eh, fuck Notre Dame. They'll they'll probably be t- top ten, but but like they're they're gonna find a way to blow it somehow. Um, okay, moving on. So Michigan basketball. Let's just touch on this. There's there's not a whole lot to talk about, but uh, Papa Conte, four star, uh, big man commit. For Michigan, uh, one of one of only two Jawan Howard uh, freshman commitments this uh, season coming in, uh, decommitted from Michigan. He a- he asked for a release from his national letter of intent to Michigan, and all signs point to that this was uh, academic related. It had really nothing to do with whether or not he wanted to come, whether or not Jawan Howard did a good job recruiting. I, everything that I've heard is that this is. Um, the admissions department, uh, once again, uh, basically making it uh, difficult for a guy that wants to come play a sport for Michigan to uh, to to commit and and get in. So, uh, you know, is, is that your understanding as well, Matt? Is this an admissions thing? Yeah, as as I understand it, it uh, it's an admissions thing. So you hate to see it. Unfortunately, uh, Michigan is just kind of uh in one of those tiers of its own you know what i mean with the uh the type of accreditations and academics that it that it allows though i don't know if that's exactly the case but uh you know there's several factors that that they use to trim people out and it's frustrating man it's frustrating because the basketball team isn't in the best shape uh that that it could be to be able to afford to lose a commitment like that so I don't know, man. What are your thoughts? I still feel good about next year, you know. I, I, but I'm a delusional Kool Aid drinking Michigan fan. I, I look at guys like Doug McDaniel and Terrace Reed, and then integrating a guy like Caleb Love in there. I just, I still feel good. I, you know, I don't think we're going to be like a top ten team or anything like that. But I, I think we can, I think we can absolutely be a tournament team. And so I'm not too worried about it. It is what it is. I think Jawan is probably going to snag another guy out of the portal. I mean, I, I guess he has to, right? Like, I think we're, I think we're going to try to get another guy on the roster. So we'll see what that looks like, but let's get to the, uh, the nitty gritty, the, the exciting stuff. This episode, Michigan football's offensive depth chart. We're going to do offense this week. We'll do defense next week. Let's go ahead and jump right in and start with the quarterback position i i don't think i'm i don't think you're going to surprise me here with your pick for the starting quarterback of the michigan wolverines so why don't you give me what you see as your uh top you know two or three or four guys and 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 i'll give you mine and then we can talk about it a little bit yeah i'm, I'm good with that so obviously at uh qb1 it's no uh no surprise for your or mind list that uh that jj mccarthy is gonna uh, ring in this new football season as teams QB one, uh, QB two. I've got Davis Warren, man. You know, I'm still very impressed with what he brings to the table. Um, you sold sold me on him a little bit. You resold me on him a little bit during our uh, our spring game draft uh, with with picking him as your uh, quarterback ultimately, but or uh, or whatever you had said about him during our conversation uh-huh. about that, but. Uh, you know, I still really like what he brings to the table. He showed a lot of guts in that spring game. He was the most efficient, best-performing quarterback on the day. And uh, and he wasn't the one that got the most snaps, you know what I mean? So he impresses me. 
Um, I, I still love Alex Orgy. I still have Alex Orgy above uh, Jack Tuttle at this point. You know what I mean? And I'm I'm not trying to like hate on Tuttle. It's more of just like a testament to the QB room. I think Alex Orgy brings a lot, could bring a lot to this offense. I really am hopeful that they find a way to use him in certain packages this season without naming him any type of like, uh, like QB one or QB two, you know what I mean? I'd like to just, just find a way to use him if anything, but, uh, I've got Jack, um, Jack Tuttle coming in at QB four and, and that kind of rounds out my four main, uh, primary, uh, starters for the Michigan offense. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I got J.J. McCarthy number one, obviously, uh, you know, he's going to shatter the the record, he's going to win the Heisman, he's going to bring all glory back to Ann Arbor, so he's, of course, is number one. I, I actually agree with you, I think Davis Warren is the number two guy, but it's interesting because there's two ways you can approach this, it's like, it's what would you like to see versus what do you think the coaches are going to do, right? So like for me, I would like to see Davis Warren number two. He's got the energy and uh, respectability. He's shown that he can do things in, in, in the game that, that are uh, kind of clutch and look, look good. I think we might see Jack Tuttle at number two. I mean, I hate to, hate to burst your bubble there. I, I, like, I, I think Jack Tuttle might end up being our number two guy. Um, with him transferring over with starting experience with his, uh, he showed some maneuverability in the spring game, which I think when, when you're talking about the, uh, run pass option packages that they will probably have for JJ, I think, I think Jack Tuttle, uh, is going to fit what they want to see in a backup. Now, granted, Alex Orgy could very well run some, some RPOs as well. Which which gives Tuttle and Orgy a little bit of a leg up over Davis Warren, but I've got JJ number one, Davis Warren number two, Jack Tuttle number three, and then our guy Alex Orgy. I still got him fourth on the depth chart, but man, I want to see him get get on the field somewhere, even even if it's not at the quarterback position. Uh, I want to see this dude play. So sounds like you and I see this a, a, about the same. Um, JJ will be the guy for for you know, hopefully, you know, the entire season. So moving on to running back, um, I've got, let's start with the top two guys. I got Blake Corum, number one, Donovan Edwards, number two. Is that, is that in line with how you see things? It's just mind blowing. I can't believe you would pick either of those individuals to lead this running back <laughs> room. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I think there's no way around it. Those are our <laughs> top two guys. What, um, let me ask you this. Do you think Donovan Edwards uh, will see, um, I don't want to say more carries than Blake Corum because I don't think that's likely, but yeah, do you think he's going to see uh, in, a lot of increased action from, from what we saw last year? You know, I think uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all unfolds, you know, because when, uh, when Blake Corum came out, announced that he was returning, you could tell that like, it probably wasn't like Donovan Edwards' favorite idea. Uh, you could tell that there was a certain part of him that was looking forward to getting a lion's share of carries next season, but he's still obviously a team guy. You know what I mean? He also mentioned in the same breath that uh, that they're going to run it back. You know what I mean? And, and he's obviously been a huge sport 
all off season about about both of them returning, splitting the Heisman. You know what I mean? As he said at the the pep rally, but um, I think it's going to be very interesting because I think that you have a Heisman caliber contender in Donovan Edwards as well. I think that he is a very special football player. I think that he's going to be reeling in receiving touchdowns. I think that he's going to be reeling in uh, running uh, running touchdowns. You know what I mean? I think that he's going to be vastly improved from last year, and then you take the injuries out of it. I think that he's going to give Blake Corum a run for his money, and we might see more of an evenness in, in carries than what we saw from Blake Corum last year where he's just the bell cow getting – getting a million carries a game you know what i mean i think donovan edwards is going to be eaten this year and i think that he expects that this year even with blake quorum returning yeah honestly i didn't even get the impression that there was any hesitation from donovan edwards when blake quorum returned i think donovan edwards is one of those rare individuals who probably just got super hyped like immediately when when quorum said he was returning his his energy is so good for this team and you mentioned the pep rally when he said they're both going to win the Heisman. It's like I, I was there, and and you, Donovan Edwards was like a little kid, like running around, uh, hyping up his teammates. He ran into the stands and like started playing with a little kid that was wearing his jersey. He was uh, hyping up like he just has that energy. It's like a youthfulness about him, uh, which is is infectious, and I think he's so good for this team, and so. Yeah, I, I think we're going to see, uh, really because of Corum's injury, I think that's why we'll see a little bit of load management uh, on Corum. Not, not, I'm not saying he won't be healthy. I'm just saying I think psychologically with the coaching staff, they're going to uh, favor giving uh, Donovan Edwards a few more carries a game. Um, then, then we get to third on the depth chart. So for me... I think of I think of this guy as third on the depth chart because we know that he's going to be used in uh, short yardage situations. I think Khalil Mullings is who the coaches see as the number three guy in the running back room. Is that how you see it as well? Yeah, that is also how uh, how I see it. I uh, I think he's kind of eclipsed. Um... CJ Stokes a little bit. I think, uh, I mean, and just and this is just my opinion, but I think CJ Stokes is in danger of falling back a little bit in favor of some of these, these veteran guys that I'm sure we're about to get to. But yeah, I think Khalil Mullings has done, done enough to earn himself uh, a spot right there, probably on that third tier of the running back room. Yeah, and I agree that CJ Stokes is is very much in danger of of uh falling really into almost obscurity on this running back depth chart, but for me, I still have him at fourth. I think he's shown enough talent. I think the coaches like him. He fumbled a few times in his freshman season. If if that happens again, I I I think we probably won't see much of him, but but uh, I've got him at fourth still. Uh, this is where you and I might start to differ. Who, who do you have as fourth in that running back room? I've got Tavi Dunlap, and uh, I think this this is a guy that's been very consistent. You know what I mean? And uh, and he you don't immediately think of the guy uh, based off of what we've seen so far. You know, most of his times come in like garbage time uh, here and there, or 
or just specific situations that they've used him. But I think that uh, that he's shown a lot of promise in the limited carries that he's gotten at Michigan. And on top of that, he's a veteran presence in that locker room now. And I wouldn't sleep on on him, Leon Franklin, any of the guys that have been occupying this room that are now a year older, a year bigger, you know what I mean? Uh, and other guys that haven't made that improvement are just going to stay the, the same while while veteran guys like that that haven't disproven themselves eventually show them up just based off of veteran leadership, you know? So I've got Toby Dunlap coming in right there at that spot. Okay, that's interesting. I've got him lower. Um you know, at, at number five, I, I went ahead and put Benjamin Hall at number five. I'm starting to, you know, what we saw at the spring game, uh, it's going to be, we, he, he may get redshirted because this is such a talented room, but man, what we saw at the spring game, it kind of seems like he might be one of these guys that Mike Hart wants to use right away. We don't know how deep into the running back depth chart we're going to have to reach, and he would be a great option based on what we saw. Um, he looked like he was ready. And then uh, at, at right under Benjamin Hall, well, let me ask you, what, who do you have at number five there? I've, uh, I've also got Benjamin Hall and pretty much the same reasons as okay. you. you know, he's, we haven't seen too much of him. He obviously just got there. But I think for somebody that just got there, you give somebody like that uh, some run on, on the depth chart. You get, you get a guy like that some carries early on to see what he can transform into next season so i think they're going to do their due diligence and make sure that they develop him properly this season so that next year he can be a force whenever blake and donovan are gone agreed agreed and and uh so at number six on the depth chart and now we're getting into like you know we're we're, we're getting pretty deep in the depth chart so i don't even have to say what number we can just kind of talk about these guys i've actually i give isaiah gash a little bit of an edge over uh, Tavier Dunlap. And it's just because we've seen the coaches use Isaiah Gash in some in some high-pressure situations. There were a few games last year where he was in making plays that we absolutely needed like with the season on the line. Um, so I think Isaiah Gash gets some play. Um, then I've got Tav- Tavi Dun- Dunlap after him. And then, um, you know, you mentioned Leon Franklin. I... I you know, no offense to him. I just think he's a non-factor this season. And then uh, a guy who I think is going to be a Michigan legend that's in that room this year that I'd, I'd, I'm starting to think will probably redshirt and we just won't see him this year really much at all. That's Cole Cabana. Cole Cabana is, uh, I think he's going to be a fan favorite. I think he's going to be an amazing running back. But I also think they're going to just give him a year with Ben Herbert before we put him on the field. That's just my feeling. Yeah, and I see this kind of similarly as well. I round out the list with uh, Isaiah Gash next. I think he's done some some good things, some big things and some big moments. If you remember, he had that, uh, that game-saving conversion uh, against Illinois last year, and that wasn't in garbage time. You know what I mean? They called on him, his number was called on, and and he delivered in a big way. So Jim Harbaugh is going to remember that. I think he's going to keep keep that going for him a little bit to to where he gets some carries. So I've got his Isaiah Gash 
Then I think CJ Stokes, um, and, you know, I hope he proves me wrong, uh, but I just, you know, for a guy that started out so hot in non-conference last year, but then was basically non-existent during his his playing time that he received in conference play, uh, I hope that that he does more and that he he shows that he could be that four star that that everyone uh, saw him as whenever he was coming in. And then I uh, I've got Leon Franklin and and Cole Cabana kind of gets an asterisk because. I think they're going to find, and I don't know the extent of his injury or anything. I don't know how much he'll play or whatever, but I think they will find a way to use him sparingly when they can to possibly where they can reserve his, his red shirt and, uh, and be a beast next year. But I think that he gets a little bit of run, but I've kind of got like an asterisk next to him just because I don't think that he gets uh, a ton of experience this year, but I think we'll see flashes. Yeah, he he's really the big question mark in that running back room because he could be the number three guy. Like if when we look back at this season, if somebody says like Cole Cabana became that number three back behind Corum and Edwards, I wouldn't be surprised. Like that wouldn't that wouldn't necessarily surprise me. I I just don't think that we're gonna see it uh, this season. So, all right, moving on to the wide receivers. Um, I'll go ahead and jump right in. I've got Cornelius Johnson as the number one wide receiver. Uh, I mean, he's like a, a 18th year senior. Like I can't even remember a time before Cornelius Johnson was playing football for for Michigan. He's been here forever. He came up big in the Ohio State game. I consider him the number one guy. Now, with that being said, um, I think Roman Wilson might have more yards than Cornelius Johnson this season. Maybe not more catches, but more yards. And the reason why is I, I see Roman Wilson as being a long yardage, get behind the defense with his speed kind of guy. We saw uh, JJ connect with him early in the season last year. We saw that weird touchdown that got called back uh, you know, against TCU. I think we're going to see basically every game, I think we're going to see Roman Wilson get behind the defense for a long touchdown. Um, I, I've I've got, been on record predicting a thousand yard receiving year for Roman Wilson. So those are my one, you know, top two guys, Cornelius Johnson and Roman Wilson. And then here's m- maybe my spiciest take of the entire episode. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm drinking the spring game football Kool-Aid. I, I've got as our number three guy, in the wide receiver room. So in other words, starter, essentially, when you talk about a number three receiver, you're talking about a starter. I've got Peyton O'Leary. I, I, don't, I don't believe that what we saw in the spring game was a fluke. I think what we saw was the emergence of a star. I think that he will uh, get on the field early and often and make plays for Michigan. Let me pause there before we get too far, uh, too far into the depth chart. Matt, who are your top three guys, and, and let's let's look at how they compare to mine. Well, Mike, I've uh, I've got Cornelius Johnson. I'm still a huge proponent that uh, that that guy is going to be wide receiver one this year. I think for the same. Let me first actually backpedal a little bit and start by saying that I think we're going to see the wide receivers catching the ball a lot more this year than we did last year. I think there's going to be 
I think Sharon Moore's going to open it up a little bit. He's going to get some of these receivers the ball a little bit more. I'm just I'm just going with that. So I think uh, it's going to be a little bit less running and a little bit more excitement with the the throwing game. So I think that we will see Cornelius Johnson as wide receiver one uh, having over. <clears throat> I don't know if I'll say over a thousand yards. I, I don't know if I'm comfortable enough to say that anyone's going to have over a thousand yards this year. Um, but also, I think that that's just attributed to the amount of weapons on this team. But second, I've got Roman Wilson, uh, who I think him and Cornelius are going to be close. You know, I think they're going to be used very differently. Cornelius kind of has that ability to take the top off of a defense. Whereas Roman Wilson's a little bit quicker and shiftier, you know what I mean? So I think that they'll both be used differently. I think Roman Wilson, so long as he can stay healthy, will rack up more receptions and uh, and be a more viable option. But I still think Cornelius is your deep threat. I think that he also has himself a big year. And then at number third... Uh, I'm going Tyler Morris. I'm still on that Tyler Morris train. I really envision them using him a lot like they used Ronnie Bell uh, last season with the slant routes and and uh, everything that he did well. I think he's a mirror image almost of, of what you get with Ronnie. So I've got Tyler Morris, and I'm just going to go one step further to transition into yours and say that at four... I do have Peyton O'Leary, and I am drinking the O'Leary Kool-Aid. Uh, yes. I was listening to him on Jansen, and the dude is, like, locked in. You know what I mean? He play, he, He's a gamer, man. He played multiple sports in high school. He's a confident motherfucker. You can tell that, like, he uh, he really wants his flowers, and he wants to succeed and, and defy all expectations at the University of Michigan. I like it. I think that he earns playing time this year at at that fourth wide receiver position. Well, yeah, I mean, putting him at fourth is definitely drinking the Kool-Aid, right? Considering where he's come from. Um, all right, I you know, I you I think you see that starting wide receiver lineup similarly to most people. I think Tyler Morris seems to be the candidate that people are talking about. Um, he's he's a little bit of a surprise, but but enough news has been out there about him that it, it seems like he might be the guy. Um, you and I have a, a very public running bet about uh, Tyler Morris versus Darius Clemens this season, and I, I, I took Darius Clemens, and so there's no way in hell I'm going to put uh, Morris above Clemens on the depth chart. So for me at fourth, I've got Darius Clemens, and then fifth, Tyler Morris. Um, and then sixth, so rounding out what you would consider our second string at receiver, you got to put A.J. Henning in there, right? Like, like ideally, A.J. Henning would just be a starter with Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson. I just can't put him there. Like, I'm just, I'm not going to believe it until I see it with this guy. Uh, he's a, he's shifty, he's talented, he's fast, uh, but the coaches have signaled to us that they're just not comfortable with him running a lot of routes. And so uh, we, we'll see about that. So I've got Clemens, Morris, and Henning rounding out my backups there. Um, and then I've got some third strings locked and loaded, but let me hear your second string. 
So to round out my list, I uh, I do have Darius Clemens uh, right immediately following O'Leary. I think that uh, that he's still destined for good things. I just think that these receivers they got to be patient. Um, I think that it's a loaded room right now with a lot of underused weapons. And I think that this will be the year where they finally find a way to start getting them some of their their credit, you know what I mean? And get getting them some long overdue catches. Uh, but, you know, it's still, even beyond this year, they're going to need to be patient. Like guys like Morris, guys like Clemens, and they're probably going to be like, like senior year guys by the time they're having like like leading like leading receiving years for this team. So I think partially that that's what's scaring some of the recruits away right now is just some of the the like the conveyor belts getting like clogged up, you know what I mean, with all of these receiving weapons and it's like, all right, well if I hop on now it's gonna be like my senior year before I, I finally get like some viable time, but uh, AJ Henning, um, to your point, is is last on my list. You know, I think he's another guy that you find a way to use weapon wise, but he just doesn't he just doesn't fit really into anything that they do aside from like certain packages or special teams. So I just struggle with him, man. I like him. I think uh, he's a great personality and player on this team. Uh, just it seems sometimes that he doesn't fit into a starting role mm-hmm. well we know for certain that they're gonna give him a few end arounds right a few reverses that seems to be what what they like to do with him uh and then kind of rounding out wide receivers that, that just guys that are going to get some garbage minutes that i really want to see some development out of for the future are uh samaj morgan frederick moore and christian dixon it'll be interesting frederick to see moore. yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see them get on the field um, now to the tight end group, uh, which is all of a sudden, even with uh, Luke Schoonmaker and, and Eric all gone, uh, the tight end group is an exciting group. So uh, I went four deep here, but really I think three, there's three guys that are going to be on the field consistently. Um, Colston Loveland, number one. Agreed? Agreed. Okay, so Colston Loveland is... fucking superstar. He's the clear guy, and then I think... I think these other two guys are going to be nearly interchangeable, um, AJ Barner and Matthew Hibner. But I, I, I'm going to give AJ Barner the the edge because he transferred from Indiana. With he, he's clearly got some uh, game experience. He's a talented guy. But Matthew Hibner impressed me in the spring game. He looked really good, maybe even better than Barner. So I think I think those two guys are the next wave. And then I put fourth um, on the depth chart for tight end uh i put max bredis in there i think that he might sneak in if there's you know hopefully everybody's healthy but if somebody's banged up he might sneak into the rotation a little bit yeah well you and i my friend have our uh our first total agreement about this depth chart at the tight end position i've got colston loveland i think the dude is just going to be an absolute dog i think he's going to get a lot of attention nationally um, I think he's going to be one of the best tight ends in America. I'm really high on yeah. him. So I think that uh, he's a superstar. And then I think AJ Barner is uh, a close second. Uh, maybe not too close because really I do think Colston's going to be great. 
But uh, A.J. Barner, I think he's going to do a lot of great things um, and going to receive a lot of targets this year. Third, I've got Matthew Hibner. I loved what I saw from him in the spring game. He looks huge. He looks like everything you'd want in a Michigan tight end. Uh, just to see him barreling down the field, you know what I mean? I know he fell down on that one play, but uh, he just looks like a prototypical Michigan big ass tight end you know what i mean so like i would love to see him barreling down the field uh against some of these other teams we've got uh that we're playing this year but him and then not sleeping on max bredesen one bit i think that they found a lot of utilization for him last year and that he's destined for a big step up this year i'd even say that that he's uh capable of of overtaking that third spot possibly uh i give the edge to hibner because of experience i think that he's like a senior this year if i'm not mistaken um but uh i think that that he's also going to be pretty special yeah bredesen is a uh that's a that's a familiar michigan name right like his brother was was playing with us and um who is the other guy? I know you wrote an article about the tight ends a while back. Like I, I'm not. I think his name's like to, Tony Anelli or Tony. Like who do you? Is there? There's another tight end in that room that could get some minutes. Are you familiar with him? Or I might be I can't, reaching. I can't absolutely remember. I know that I did write the article, and there was a fifth person. Let me look at the roster, and I'll yeah I'll get back to yeah. You. I know there's some listener just screaming at the podcast right now, like that knows all about this guy. But you know, it's hard. There's a lot of guys on this roster. It's hard to uh, to keep up with them, honestly. Um, let me move. Let me move on here to the big boys, the offensive line. I I feel like I should get my Chris Berman voice out when I talk about the offensive line. You know, it, this is what Michigan is all about, and. Um, I tell you what, I'm going to run through and give you my starting five on the line. And then uh, let's have you do the same. And then and then we'll, we'll start talking about backups a little bit. So I'm going to start at the left tackle position. I think the starter at left tackle is, is obvious. I think it's going to be Ladarius Henderson, uh, Arizona State transfer. Uh, there's some talk about him moving around potentially on the line. I don't see it. I think Left tackle is maybe the most important position. You're you're you know protecting JJ McCarthy's blind side. I see Ladarius Henderson as a staple along the left side of that line. Um, then moving to the left guard position, there's there's no way around it. It's Trevor Keegan. I think I think Trevor Keegan and and Zach Zinter are going to be on the right and left side of that center. Uh, again, I I don't think there's any other way. To assemble this, yeah, you could move these guys around, but Keegan and Zinter are starters. Ladarius Henderson is a starter, and then uh, Drake Nugent. I'm excited about this dude. Transfer from Stanford. He has 24 career starts at center. Um, I'll put him in there, and then the right tackle. This is where you could get creative. To to me, this is where you know you got Zinter. Keegan, Nugent, and Henderson, to me, are, are all four clearly going to start on this line. And then it gets, it gets a little bit interesting about who else you want to plug in there with those four guys as a starter. I'm going to give the lean to Miles Hinton. 
Uh, he started a lot of games at right tackle for Stanford. I think uh, I think I'm gonna plug him in there as my fifth fifth starter. Um, and then of course, there's a lot of talent that we can talk up talk about as backups. But before we get there, let let me hear uh, what is your what does your starting offensive line look like for 2023? So my starting offensive line, Mike, and I see it somewhat similarly to to how you do. I've got uh, Ladarius Henderson uh, starting at the lo- the left tackle position, and I know he's got experience at uh, at guard as well. Uh, but I think left tackle is really where Michigan needs him the most. When you look at the rest of the offensive line and and their experience and where they kind of stand. So I think Ladarius Henderson, when he arrives, you want him occupying that left tackle position. Uh, and then, obviously, we've got Trevor Keegan and Zach Zinter taking up left and right guard. I think behind them, uh, Gio Elhadi is going is just a beast in waiting man he's from uh from uh my hometown up in michigan of sterling heights so shout out to him but uh geo alhadi i think is just he's going to be a beast um and i just it drives me crazy he started three games last year um in in placement of zinter i believe but uh you know i think that he's a starting caliber offensive lineman even better he was almost a five-star recruit uh, coming out of high school when he joined us. And I've just been waiting to see what he can do. But I think he's just got one more year to go of sitting behind uh, Zinter or Keegan, and then he'll he'll make his, his triumphant uh, starting debut. But right now I've got him behind Keegan at left guard. Uh, center, Drake Nugent. I hear that he's been an absolute beast in the weight room with Ben Herbert. He's been uh, he's been picking up a lot of steam, and people have been talking a lot about him. I think that we're not going to lose much following Olu's departure with Drake Nugent. So I've got him at center. Zach Zinner, right guard, obviously. And then right tackle is kind of a head-scratcher, right? Because we've got uh, Trente Jones and then Miles Hinton, who both have a substantial amount of experience at that right tackle position, which one do you go with? You know what I mean? Or do you go with, uh, with Trente who's, who's got the experience with this team, but has had a few stumbles along the way, uh, but has improved vastly following those, those stumbles and those, that injury that he experienced, or do you go with transfer miles Hinton who has that, uh, that chemistry with um with drake nugent you know what i mean so i think that's the biggest uh the biggest if right there is uh is trent a jones or or miles hinton and who are you going with there i think i'm giving the edge to uh to trent a just based off of of what i've seen you know what i mean i haven't really seen miles hinton play too much obviously brother of chris hinton so you know that he's destined for greatness. He's got that Wolverine blood running through his veins. But uh, I'm giving the edge to Trente until I can see a little bit of what, what Miles has. But uh, I think Carson Barnhart is also a name that will factor into both of those tackle positions. He's got experience at both. 
Uh, he's moved around along this offensive line. They've been waiting to find a consistent place or role to use him at. I think that uh, that in the two deep, he he falls in to kind of complement Ladarius Henderson at left tackle or Trente and Miles at right tackle. I think wherever they decide to to use uh, use Barnhart indicates kind of what where they intend to use Miles Hint. Yeah, I agree, and it's tough with offensive line because sometimes these guys can move around, but. Uh, so yeah, we differ slightly on the right tackle position. I think Miles Hinton will get in there, um, but with Trent Trent A is a a close backup. I think we'll see him slide in there at right tackle. I went ahead and plugged in Carson Barnhart uh, behind Ladarius Henderson at left tackle. He's a fifth year guy. Started a lot of games. I think mo- I think he's mostly started on the left side. I could be wrong there. Uh, so I, you know, I plugged him in there at left tackle. Uh, Giovanni Alhadi, uh, yes, yes. Like this dude would start for any other team in the country. Um, I, I'm just I'm putting him behind Trevor Keegan, but he is a, a great option for you know to back up Zinter or Keegan uh, as needed. Um, center. So back the backup for center becomes a little interesting. We start to look at. Um, I, I'm going to put Raheem Anderson in there above Greg Crippen because Anderson, he just has a little bit more experience, a little bit more game action. But but then you, you look at, so our third string center is Greg Kripp, Crippen, who could probably start on like most power five teams. Like we are just loaded at, at offensive line. And then there's one guy I, I wanted to make sure that we mentioned here um, in the kind of too deep, and and this is the only freshman that I think is going to be rotated in and get consistent minutes. I've got backing up Zach Zinter in that right guard spot. I went ahead and threw Amir Herring in there. So Amir Herring uh, was the number four player in the state of Michigan, according to 247. I think he's the one guy that might, um, depending on his size and ability in his first year, I think he, I think we might see him play considerable minutes. Yeah, I uh, I couldn't agree more about Amir Herring. I don't have him at the two deep just yet. I've got uh, Andrew Gentry just based off of uh, uh, of seeing him a little bit more. Uh, you saw him in the spring game. Raheem Anderson is the name that I have at that that second uh, center position. Also, I think that uh, we saw some good things from him during the spring game. We saw some good things from him last year. He's a big dude, you know what I mean, and he's uh, he's athletic. He's um, I think they're kind of trying to to mold him into the play style that Olu kind of played with last year. But um, I, I like what I saw from him in the spring game, and I think that he overtakes Crippen a little bit at that second center position. Yeah, I like the the call out for uh, Gentry. He have, he appeared in a few games, and so just based on experience, he might have the edge over Amir Herring. I'll, I'll give you that. But you got to assume one freshman is going to come in and make some waves. And he Her- Herring is the Amir most- looked good. He looked mm-hmm. good in the spring game. He's the most obvious choice. And then another name I just to call out before we move on from the offensive line is Jeffrey Percy. Uh, he's a senior. Uh, as a junior, he appeared in in all fourteen games on special teams, five on the offensive line, and uh, he actually got a start at left tackle. And so, 
that shows a little bit of trust from the coaching staff. So that's a guy that you could see get plugged in there um, at times. And, you know, Michigan just has the luxury of being able to rotate guys around, on, you know, through the offensive line without much drop off. So uh, that's going to be fantastic. Um, you know, we've we've done a good job here of filtering out all the non diehard fans because we just had like a 15 minute discussion about, you know, offensive line depth chart, which if you're a real Michigan fan, that's your language. But, you know, a lot of football fans don't even pay attention to these guys. And so I'm glad I'm glad we're giving them the shine they deserve because they're about to go win their their third straight Joe Moore award. Um, any any final closing thoughts on the O-line before we move on? It's just exciting, man. You know, you want, uh, I mean, really, like, when you just look down this entire roster, it's just one of the most complete rosters that that we've ever had going into a season, and there's just so much buzz and excitement about it, and everyone just wants to see it come to fruition on the field, but, you know, it's just uh, it's just exciting to take it all in and and uh, hopefully prepare for what is a great season. You know, you got to have a great O-line, a great D-line to, to have a successful team. And I think we've, we've got that at this year's uh, offensive line for sure. Well, and so that brings up some questions. It's, you know, it's fun. I, I like, you know, we've played Would You Rather on this show before. And so I want to I wanna hit you with one right off the bat. Um, now that we've gone through the depth chart, we've looked at some different things. Let me ask you, Matt, would you rather have Benjamin Hall rush for 500 yards this season or um, have A.J. Henning receive for 500 yards this season? Which one would you prefer? Say that one more time. Benjamin Hall, 500 rushing yards. A.J. Henning, 500 receiving yards. I think I'd I'd like to see Benjamin Hall get it. Yeah, I'm going to go with Benjamin Hall. I okay. like what he brings to the table. I think the development is important. I'd like to see Henning get it just because I think it would be cool for for Henning and all that, but you know, I really uh, am excited about what Benjamin Hall brings to this team, if not this year in the future, and I think they just they don't get there without giving that guy a little bit of run this year. Yeah, I mean, the reason I asked the question is because I don't really know. It, 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 it's kind of a, a tough call. I think I would lean towards A.J. Henning getting those receiving yards because to me, uh, I don't think we're going to need Benjamin Hall to get 500 uh, rushing yards. But if A.J. Henning gets 500 receiving yards, I mean, that that that'll be a hell of a, a pleasant surprise for uh, just the overall outlook of our passing game. And so I'm going to lean towards the, the AJ Hun- Henning numbers right there, but uh, you got any hypotheticals for me now that we've looked at the depth chart on offense? I'd probably say, would you rather see Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards have shortened success from what they had last year or are are, yeah i'm sorry would you rather see that accompanied with greater receiving production or the opposite i guess is the one that i would hit you with i'm kind of going off the top of the dome here as you yeah yeah i I put you prepare one but i uh, put you on the spot man so 
So le- like you're basically saying uh, less production on the ground from our two running star running backs, but uh, a an increase more pass- production from the receivers. Yeah. Or would you rather see something similar to last year? Let's say that. Well, man, as much as as much as I believe that our receiving yards will increase, and we're going to see that. If I had to choose one or the other. I think I'm going to choose the continued success on the ground. And because that has proven to be uh, how we've won the Big Ten and beaten Ohio State. Um, And so uh, even though a lot of fans would probably rather see the air game explode, uh, I'm going to I'm going to stick with the ground if I have to choose one. Luckily, I think I think both are just going to be fantastic this year. So I don't I don't think we have to worry about that. But uh See, I'm right there with you because, like, uh, I'd love to see see the receiving game explode. Like, I toy around with the idea all the time of what it what it might look like. But you know, you just look at uh, the last season and the season before that, the success that this team has had uh, doing things the way that they've done it, and then you look at the TCU game. You know what I mean? Which is the lone blemish on on last year's team and they they were airing it out you know what i mean obviously it was more of like a uh a catch-up strategy to air it out like that the way that they were being that they got down so quickly but you know just getting away from that run game it just seems like it just complements this team so well and and how they operate and the way that they control the game i just don't know if passing the ball gives you that same dynamic well said, sir. Well said. Um, okay, well, that just about does it for our show, but I, I need to get your opinion on something before we wrap up. So earlier this week, I posted something on Twitter and received some pretty harsh criticism about it, and I actually thought it was not that bad of a take. I, I just reminded people that the great Denard Shoelace Robinson he was actually injured at the end of his senior season. He hurt his arm. That played a, it played a huge factor in him uh, having to move to the running back position in the, in the pros. And a lot of people thought the NFL was the NFL scouts and NFL teams and coaches made Denard make that switch. And that's actually not true. Uh, I read a story that where Denard uh, he outlined what happened. He said he 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 consciously chose to move to running back because of the injury to his arm, which made it. Uh, much more difficult for him to throw. And so that was something he was forced into. Um, I simply said that I believed that Denard Robinson could have been a successful NFL quarterback had he not been injured. And man, I tell you what, people just lit me up. They're like, are you crazy? He's just, he was throwing 50-50 balls. He was, he was, uh, you know, trash. He was not a good quarterback. And let me just let me just defend my point here. Um, and yes, I love Denard Robinson. He's an all-time great, and he's the man. And I will defend him with my life. But let me let me defend him with some stats here. Lamar Jackson, right? He's a guy you may have heard of. Uh, he's played a little bit of ball in the NFL. His best rushing season in college, he rushed for sixteen hundred and one yards. Denard Robinson's best rushing season in college, he rushed for a NCAA record, 1,702 yards. Now, Lamar Jackson, his career completion percentage in college, 57%. Denard Robinson's career completion percentage in college, 
57.2%. So when I'm saying that Denard Robinson could have played quarterback in the NFL, and then I compare his college stats to a guy like Lamar Jackson, a guy that won NFL MVP. We're talking about a guy that was literally named the best player in the NFL for a season. I don't think I'm that crazy saying if this dude doesn't hurt his arm that he possibly could have been a good a good uh, quarterback in the NFL. Matt, I'm I'm interested and eager to hear. Do you agree with me here, or do you think that I'm just just delusional? Man, they really were coming for you too. I uh, I saw you post it, and like I really didn't think anything of it because I personally uh, had some agreement with the take. I love Denard Robinson. I was the first guy amongst my friends to defend Robinson's ability to throw the rock. And, uh, and I, you know, I just, I don't get the Denard hate in terms of the passing game. You know, to your point, there's been far, far more quarterbacks that have gone on to the NFL that did substantially worse in college. And also something that people don't tend to factor in is a quarterback's ability to improve from from how they were in college. You know what I mean? Obviously, Denard wasn't right on the money with every single throw that he made. Nobody, rarely anybody ever is. But at the same time, he consistently completed over, 50, over 60% of his passes right around there. And on top of that, you factor in the rushing production, which is a part of the quarterback position. You know what I mean? It is a part of your ability to play quarterback well. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, accompanied with, I mean, he also threw for over 2,000 yards receiving in, in two of the his primary seasons at the quarterback position, which is really good for how often he ran the football uh, it's not really a situation where you can look at the receiving core and say like, like these guys were like legendary receivers. You know what I mean? Like you obviously have studs like Roy Roundtree, Jeremy Gallon. You know what I mean? Who went on to have great Michigan careers, but it's not like they were these superstar talents that made Denard better. You know what I mean? So. Denard Robinson was a great quarterback. He uh, didn't do everything right all the time, but you know, it's you can't just be incredibly great and record setting at everything. You got to temper your expectations a little bit. The dude was a legendary runner, threw the ball competently, and uh, and had a hell of a career at Michigan. So I don't get the hate when it's. It's not even proven that he wouldn't have been good. You know what I mean? How how could you hate on a Michigan legend like that? Yeah, I mean, and I didn't say he was Aaron Rodgers. I just said his like his style of game could have translated had he been afforded the opportunity to develop at the quarterback position. Thank you. I knew I could count on you to to defend me in this instance. Um, a bunch of haters, bunch of haters. Go root for Ohio State if you're gonna hate on Lloyd Robinson. Um, all right, Matt, where can uh, where can people find you if they want to get plugged in and follow you? Uh, if they want to find me, they can find me at my primary Twitter handle at Maze Crusader or uh, any of the great content that myself or my guys are putting out at Maze and Brew at Maze and Brew or MazeandBrew.com. Heck yeah, and you guys can find me. 
um, at Wolverine Cron on Twitter. WolverineChronicle.com is the website uh, on YouTube. Uh, just look up Wolverine Chronicle. You'll find me. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back next week with the defensive depth chart predictions along with anything else that happens in the news cycle. Maybe we, maybe we can talk a little bit about uh, NBA playoff basketball because we got some guys that are, that are uh, showing out, some uh, Michigan guys showing out. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. And as always, go blue. Go blue.